Welcome to Church Meets World, a podcast from American Media about where the Catholic Church meets the most interesting and consequential issues of our time. I'm Sebastian Gomes, an executive editor at America. And I'm Maggie Van Dorn, an audio producer at America. And in this episode of Church Meets World, we're sharing a really powerful and difficult story about human trafficking. It's based on a feature story that was written in June of 2020 by Isabel Seneschal, who was one of our O'Hare fellows at the time. Uh, I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. Yes. And we decided to share this now because January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. According to the Department of Defense, listen to this, Maggie, 4.5 million people worldwide are victims of forced sexual exploitation. Mm -hmm. 21 million are victims of forced labor. And cumulatively, modern slavery and what we understand as human trafficking is a $150 billion a year industry. Yeah. And it also remains one of the most misunderstood issues because many people who are being trafficked are mistaken for criminals when in reality, they've become victims of force or fraud or coercion themselves. And we hear that really clearly in a victim that Izzy spoke to, Rihanna. It is extremely powerful. And after we play the story, Maggie and I will return to reflect on what we took out of the episode. So stick around. But first, here is Entrapment, produced and narrated by Isabel Seneschal. When Rihanna was 15 years old, she ran away from home. This was not a one-time incident for the willful teenager. She developed a habit of disappearing after her family moved from Texas to California in 2010. Whenever Rihanna clashed with her mother over her restrictive house rules or curfew, she would take off for a few hours to hide out with her new friends. It was not unusual then when Rihanna decided to run away one night after getting into another argument with her mother for missing curfew. This time, however, she reached out to the wrong person for help. An older man, we'll call him Jay, who had given her his phone number earlier that day. Although Rihanna was suspicious of Jay's interest in her, she felt she had run out of options. It was cold, nighttime. I had nowhere else to go, so I ended up calling the number. That's Rihanna's voice. We spoke over the phone. The audio recording isn't great, but her story is very powerful and important to hear. Jay offered to put Rihanna up in a hotel room for the night. On the way, he gave her a drug that made her feel lightheaded and woozy. Rihanna remembers the room being occupied by another teenage girl who started taking pictures of her. It kind of felt like a dream. I, it was my first time doing drugs, so I was kind of out of it. I didn't know what was going on. The next morning, she woke up disoriented, to Jay knocking on her hotel room door. At first, he downplayed what had happened the previous night. He refused to answer any of Rihanna's or the other girl's questions about the situation they were in. It was not until a week and a half later that his intentions with the photographs were made clear. Jay was a sex trafficker, and Rihanna was his next victim. Human trafficking is a vast yet largely hidden criminal industry that generated an estimated $32 billion annually in 2012. And sex trafficking, in particular, 
exploits roughly 4 million people around the world. Hearing people like Rihanna recount her own experiences as a sex trafficking survivor in her sometimes shaky yet persistent voice can help many put a face to these numbers and ask hard questions. What will it take to end human trafficking? And how should people of faith respond to this injustice? I'm Isabel Seneschal with America Media. I'm a journalist and activist with a passion for covering social justice issues. Since 2013, I've been invested in the fight against human trafficking, working to promote policy change and help educate others on this often misunderstood social issue. Every person deserves to live and be treated with dignity, but human trafficking is a crime that strips those rights away. Human trafficking is believed to be the third largest criminal enterprise on earth the with the kinds of customers you would Maybe never There's a terrible darkness coursing and through terror. the veins of America. Most have no idea it's there There's and some choose not to. There's always a real face behind that transaction. Human trafficking is a unique 21st century social issue in part because labor trafficking, including commercial sex trafficking, was not actually internationally recognized as a distinct crime until 2000. Before that, the legal definition of human trafficking was murky at best, with virtually no uniform consequences for those who exploited individuals for labor or sex acts. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, Sex trafficking involves any commercial sex act that is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or in which the person induced to perform such an act has not attained 18 years of age. For adult victims, how a state interprets force, fraud, or coercion is key. It determines whether a case is viewed as prostitution, which is illegal, but considered voluntary, or trafficking, which is also illegal, but considered involuntary. For minors, this definition means that any solicited sex act constitutes sex trafficking. So the term child prostitute is grossly inaccurate. By definition, only adults can be prostitutes. Sex trafficking is whenever someone is in the commercial sex industry without their consent. And that's defined through force, fraud, and coercion. That's Krista Price. She's the founder and CEO of HTI Labs, a research and technology institute that uses data to understand human trafficking. Her work has taught her a lot about how traffickers operate. Force um, is right uh, physically kind of forcing you. That's the, the classic image I think we have in our mind. Um, fraud is if they tell you that they have a job for you in the United States, that you're going to be a waitress, and then... Um, you get there and really it's working in a massage parlor. That's an example of, of fraud, right? Um, and then coercion, that's how it usually happens. That's the big one. And so it can really manifest in, in a million different ways. Um, but it all comes down to consent. Because she was a minor, Rihanna's case automatically qualified as sex trafficking. If she had been an adult, 
proving her status as a victim might have been harder. Although her description of Jay's intimidation tactics and fraudulent behavior sounds like fraud or coercion. In the beginning, Jay took Rihanna's cell phone so that she could not contact her mother or law enforcement for help. He hovered constantly by her side and kept her compliant by forcing her to take more drugs. He would pretend to come across seemingly innocent jobs for her, only to reveal at the last moment that these financial opportunities actually involved sex acts. Jay was deceptive and manipulative. He used those skills to take advantage of Rihanna's vulnerable position as a runaway teen. He took upon that vulnerability Mm-hmm. And then tried to act like he cared and then being your boyfriend or whatever he was supposed to be to you. It's not always about kidnap. It's they feed on your emotions and make you trust them and then end up being something else. On one occasion, early in her entrapment, Rihanna tried to escape Jay by leaving with one of Jay's colleagues who had promised to help her get out of the trafficking ring. But the man turned out to be an even more violent, aggressive trafficker than even Jay was. He was very aggressive. Like he, it was something to be afraid of. Like he was showing, like he would typically kill you. He had his gun stuck to the other girl's face while I was in the car with him. She already had a black eye. Um, So it was really not a situation to play with. Rihanna told me that the man dropped her off at a hotel in the middle of nowhere. He warned her that he would not let her go unless she made a certain amount of money for him. Realizing that this was a more dangerous situation than the time she had spent with her first trafficker, Rihanna ended up calling Jay. She pled with him to take her back. Initially, though, Jay claimed that he did not want to pick her up. He believed she had made money for another pimp. And according to Rihanna, traffickers will stop associating with girls who sell for other pimps. But Rihanna managed to convince him otherwise. After that incident, Rihanna started seeing Jay more as a protector than an abuser. At that time, I was, I would say, brainwashed. Mm. I went from thinking he was a bad person to thinking he was, I guess, protecting me or a good person. Awareness of human trafficking has steadily increased around the world since the early 2000s. Among those advocating for human trafficking victims, religious groups have been particularly vocal. For decades, faith-based non-governmental organizations and religious institutions have made significant contributions to the anti-trafficking movement. These groups often employ their faith and the knowledge they've gleaned as service care providers teachers, and missionaries in marginalized communities to educate others about modern slavery. They also provide services for victims and inform policy change. The Catholic Church is no exception. Pope Francis has urged people of all religions and cultures to unite to fight slavery and human trafficking. We are all called to fight all forms of slavery and to build brotherhood. Pope Francis has made human trafficking a principal focus in his vision for the church. In 2015, for example, he dedicated his annual message for the World Day of Peace to human trafficking, 
which he called a crime against humanity. He also called for a mobilization comparable in size to that of the phenomenon itself. Two years later, Francis charged one of his departments in the Vatican with developing pastoral guidelines to tackle the issue. Women religious, or sisters as they're commonly known, have answered this call. They formed international networks against human trafficking, and they often serve on the front lines, working with and protecting trafficked women. Then there are groups like Catholic Relief Services and Polaris that have worked to raise awareness and develop holistic, survivor-oriented programming. Since 2007, the National Human Trafficking Hotline has helped with over 55,000 cases of human trafficking in the United States, some involving multiple victims. States have expanded statutes on human trafficking, with varying degrees of success, to connect victims with resources and help law enforcement handle trafficking incidents. And in January 2020, President Donald Trump signed an executive order to expand his domestic policy office. It now includes a new position that will focus solely on combating human trafficking. One anti-trafficking project that has seen some success is the Human Trafficking Initiative at Creighton University, which is a Jesuit school in Omaha, Nebraska. The initiative is directed by Krista Price, who also founded HTI Labs. You heard from her earlier. My background is in data science and social science research, so I've been working on and studying trafficking for about seven years. HCI Labs uses data science to collect, analyze, and evaluate the scope of human trafficking in a given region and recommend corresponding policy solutions. The Human Trafficking Initiative was really born with this theory that we could leverage data science and artificial intelligence to create data that really didn't exist, um, right? The idea of illuminating this sort of hidden population by connecting the dots between online commercial sex ads to identify networks. The project began in 2013. Terry Clark, a professor of political science at Creighton, opened an experimental research laboratory along with two of his colleagues. The lab used cutting-edge information technologies to produce data on various social issues. Ms. Price was an undergraduate at the time, studying international relations and economics. She joined the lab soon after it launched, where she quickly assumed responsibility for a project that focused on international trafficking flows. Ms. Price tracked women and children moving between countries with high sex trafficking rates, for example, between Thailand and Laos, or Russia and Ukraine. After close to a year of research, she realized that the same methodology could more accurately measure the prevalence of sex trafficking in the United States. Data that, for the longest time, seemed out of reach, given the secretive nature of human trafficking. We became integrated with uh, the anti-trafficking community more generally because we knew that this idea couldn't go anywhere unless we worked hand-in-hand -hand with the people on the ground to make sure that our algorithms reflect the real world, right? And over the years, we just became more and more integrated into efforts across the community, building data and technology to support efforts from investigations to policymaking to service provision. So how does HTI Labs find data on sex trafficking? One piece of it actually comes from online advertising. We identify traffickers by first identifying um, 
the sort of sex providers who might be trafficked and investigating their potential traffickers. And we do it this way because traffickers are far less visible than sex providers. Um, sex providers need to advertise or communicate with buyers in some way. It's a market, right? Um, and so they, they can't be completely underground. And so we use web crawling to automatically detect and scrape this communication at scale. Um, and then we use data science to generate accurate reflections of um, individual networks to understand the degree to which it might be trafficking. With its racy online listings, the website Backpage.com has long been targeted by law enforcement. Accused of making sex trafficking Aurora possible. Avenue say they face increased danger because the Justice Department shut down Backpage.com. Initially, most of the advertising data that HTI Labs processed came from Backpage.com. It's a classified advertising website that was the largest domestic online marketplace for commercial sex until the FBI seized the site in 2018. Go ahead and look it up. You'll see for yourself. While shutting down Backpage did mitigate the website's monopoly on sex solicitation, the controversial shutdown has been criticized by activists for scattering sex trafficking to other corners of the internet. This makes it more difficult to gather evidence for trafficking investigations. The FOSTA-SESTA legislation that passed a couple years ago resulted in all these websites going down. Did that mean trafficking decreased? No, it meant it moved. And now it's moved to a place where um, jurisdictions where we can't subpoena them for records, which is needed now to, um, to actually prosecute these, case, these cases. And so what working in this environment means is that you must think holistically and think about the full system because you're just moving it around otherwise. So I, I can't walk you through exactly how uh, our algorithms work um, because we need to stay ahead of traffickers. So seeing 197,000 ads yesterday, um, that's an increase. Uh, and watching it with COVID and everything that's happening, you know, um, knowing that every single ad there is a person it was advertised for a person behind it. And that all of those ads right now, it's, it's increasing because people are losing their jobs. Looking here at our risk levels. And yeah, so the number of ads promoting um, remote sex work has increased by more than 40% from March till today. So um, got to make sure that that doesn't result in increased trafficking. In order to corroborate the data they pull from online advertisements, HCI Labs works with the Nebraska Human Trafficking Task Force, law enforcement, local shelters, and women-centric nonprofits to compare the information that each organization has collected on different dimensions of human trafficking. Through their research, HGI Labs was able to estimate that in 2017, 900 individuals were sold for sex in the state of Nebraska per month. 
Rihanna was trafficked for six months before the FBI got involved with her case. After Jay's arrest, she was bounced from foster parent to foster parent before landing at a therapeutic group home for girls rescued from sex trafficking. It's called Courage House, and at the time, it operated out of Northern California. Full disclosure, my second cousin is the executive director for Courage House Tanzania. It was at Courage House that Rihanna learned she was three months pregnant. They told me I was pregnant, and I thought it was hilarious. I busted out laughing because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think I could get pregnant through basically through everything I've been through. Rihanna stayed at Courage House until the sixth month of her pregnancy. At that point, she returned to her parents' house to have her baby. Now a member of the military in her mid-twenties, Rihanna is advocating for other human trafficking victims. When people look at me, they don't see my trauma or anything that I went through. And then when I do explain to them that it's not about what females wear or the fact that they're out in public by themselves, they try to get all hostile. I explain my situation and they're just shocked. I just feel everybody should be aware of everything that's going on. For once, we have a way of lifting up and corroborating victims' experiences. And it's not because we've convinced the world to believe women. It's because the math gave the trafficker away. So I, that's sort of my, my motivator. I, I, I wouldn't have spent my 20s pulling all-nighters in front of a computer if I didn't think that this was um, really a calling and that we were onto something big. Personally, faith is a huge motivator uh, for me uh, and keeps me, keeps me going and recognizing that this is really a calling. But at the end of the day, this is a human issue. That was Entrapment, an audio adaptation of a feature article written by Isabel Seneschal called How Some Researchers Are Using Data Science to Fight Sex Trafficking. The article is linked in the show notes. Izzy was part of America's Joseph A. O'Hare SJ Postgraduate Media Fellowship Program back in 2020. And just so you know, every year, American Media offers three recent graduates of Jesuit colleges and universities the opportunity to develop their media skills and professional relationships through the program. So if you or someone you know is actually interested in a career in media and in podcasting, please encourage them to apply. You can learn more at O'HareFellows.org, and we'll also link to that in the show notes. Izzy did a really great job on this episode. Maggie, what did you take away from the story? Yeah, I, I think um, what really struck me was just the coercive nature of trafficking. Um, hmm. Sometimes I think we expect it to be written out plainly or um, for someone to be uh, stolen and placed in the back of a van and, you know, to be very overt. But actually, you can see the layers and layers of manipulation that Rihanna experienced um, with Jay and and how someone who you know, can appear to be like a protector, a help, a guide through a difficult time in your life, it can actually turn out to be an abuser. Um, so just, yeah, the, the the coercive nature of this was really evil, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I was a bit overwhelmed by the global scope of it. Um, you know, the things that that Krista Price was sharing, uh, just the numbers. You know, the fact that she could walk into her lab um, and use the data uh, and and the the technology that they've created to to track this stuff, mm-hmm. turn on her computer and find. 197,000 ads mm-hmm. online. And she says each one of those ads has a person behind it. And the numbers give away something that we often don't see or recognize. And I thought there was a really provocative line. Um, Krista Price said, you know, the math gave the trafficker away. It's not that right. we believe the women, and, and in most cases, women here. Um, and that brings us to... I think the the Me Too revolution, um, you know, in my own work on um, sex abuse within the Catholic Church, there is this current of not believing, not listening to the victim. And while it is a tremendous advantage to have this technology to make visible the invisible, um, we also can't lose sight of human voices, humans who are telling us what their experience is. Or who would tell us their experience if they had any confidence that they would be listened to. Exactly. So there's a kind of a cultural change across the board that needs to take place. That's right. for sure. And in other words, like this can't just be solved by technology alone. Like the technology right. is indicating a much deeper systemic cultural phenomenon that we need to confront. Right. Conversion uh, is the word mm-hmm. that comes to my mind, um, and that's a that, that's a spiritual transformation, uh, right? And so it's mm-hmm. and so it's not a surprise that um, you know some of the people who are leading the way in supporting the initiatives that are tackling this enormous problem um, are religious, uh, religious women in particular. I think they're they're funding a, a ton of these efforts, mm-hmm. um, but that's really, you're right. That's really what it's going to take. Uh, there, there's a change of mindset that needs to happen. Um, and, uh, the people who are involved, the, the, the noble work that these folks are doing, uh, I mean, it's a recognition of, of just basic human dignity, right? Yeah. That's the foundation of all these groups that are doing this work. Yeah. It's not that you need to have a conversion to a particular religion, but we need to have a conversion around human dignity as being absolutely foundational to what we do and to all of our relationships. All right. And that does it for this episode of Church Meets World. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. To hear future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. And let your friends and family know about the show. That's the best way to get the word out. We'll be back with all new episodes in the weeks ahead. Church Meets World is a production of America Media. This episode was written and produced by Isabel Seneschal and by us, Maggie Van Dorn and Sebastian Gomes. Sound design by Ashley Spillane. It was based on an article by Isabel Seneschal for America Magazine called How Some Researchers Are Using Data Science to Fight Sex Trafficking. You can find that article at americamagazine.org. And to access all of our content, visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thank you for listening.